Welcome, everyone, to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Naomi Wolf, who is a prolific author and uh, a ninth, uh, graduate of Yale University and also has a prestigious Rhodes Scholarship. Very difficult to get, it's one of the longest international scholarships out there and allowed her to complete her PhD in English and literature from Oxford in 2015. But eight years before she graduated or got a PhD from Oxford, she wrote a book called The End of America, which is why we are talking with her today. And that book was written in 2007. She's put together a few um, YouTube videos, which we're going to put on this uh, um page that really describes some of the book and she, where she reads parts of it, but, but her publisher and uh, actually my publisher too, for the COVID-19 book is Chelsea. And they uh, are going to release uh, an introduction and the first and the last chapters of the book for free. And we'll put a link to that uh, where you can get that for free uh, on this page also. So welcome. And thank you for joining us today, Naomi. I'm so happy to be with you, Dr. Mercola. Okay, likewise. So you warned us in the book that these would-be tyrants, whether they're on the right or on the left, and, and by the way, it's interesting because um, we sh we are on different ends of the political spectrum. You know, not that I think that that's key or important because this is not a partisan issue, but you're, you're a progressive and many people would view me as a conservative, but we align together completely on this issue that we're going to talk about today. Um, so um, what actually, now what the book end of America goes into 10 steps and the sequel to your book, which I think you're writing now is what I can peer from, from the, what I'm reading is the, the is a 10 step 10. So when is that book going to be out? And then I'm wondering next, if you can review the 10 steps and uh, tell us what they're all about. Sure. Um, so to answer your first question, I'm sure my publisher would like it out immediately um, or as soon as this fall. I, I'm writing as fast as I can. <laughs> I don't have a. It'll, it'll be certainly this year. Um, okay. Well, we'll have you. We'll have you back on when that book comes out. Thank you so much. The ten steps they they start with, and, and what I found in looking at um, open societies, democracies closing uh, in whether it was at the hands of tyrants, as you mentioned, on the left or on the right, whether it was in Italy in the twenties, Germany in the thirties. East Germany in the 50s, uh, China in the 80s, um, Chile in the 70s, they all took the same 10 steps and uh, they always work. So I warned people in that book that when you start to see these 10 steps, you have to take action because there is no way to recover once uh, things go too far without a bloody revolution or a civil war, God forbid. So um, we are at step 10. People have said since I wrote that book in 2007, tell us when we're at step 10. And I've always said, OK, things are bad. <laughs> They're getting worse, but we're not, you know, there's still there's still hope. We're literally at step 10 now. And I've been trying to warn people, you know, kind of tirelessly as much as I can, uh, that we are at step 10 and that once step 10 locks in, there is no going back. Um, so the 10 steps start with invoke a terrifying internal and external threat. Um, and that can be a, a real threat. It can be based on a real threat, but it's always hyped. Terrorism served um, from 2001 till the start of the COVID pandemic uh, to be that terrifying internal and external threat that um, was used uh, 
by administrations from Bush to Obama to strip us of our liberties. Um, but that ultimately wasn't that effective. There was, you know, there was still freedom in the world. People were not saying, okay, ISIS exists, therefore I'm going to give up my First Amendment liberties, my Fourth Amendment liberties, my Second Amendment liberties, and so on. So sadly, at the start of this uh, medical crisis, which is now not a pandemic in many states and countries, it's an endemic. It's something that is, you know, doesn't meet the formal definition of a pandemic. Um, this was the perfect excuse for leaders to usher in step 10. So just zipping through some of the steps, there's, you know, create a thug cast, uh, create um, a gulag that's outside the rule of law, like Guantanamo, um, create a surveillance state where citizens are spied on, right? And that's the vaccine passports um, soon to come. Um, create, uh, you know, recategorize criticism as dissent and um, critics as, you know, engaging in subversion uh, so that, you know, make speech dangerous, criminalize freedom of speech. Um, there's targeting of the press. Um, we can talk about that. Uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation have essentially bought up the Western press and, um, you know, coerced them, bribed them into following the party line, bought up the CBC and so on. Um, then you get toward the end of the steps, which is step 10 is uh, emergency law, subvert the rule of law and and you know, also called martial law. And we're here. Um, I'm recording from New York State. We're under emergency law. Uh, every 30 days, I get an email saying that tyrannical Governor Cuomo has extended emergency powers, even though in Columbia County, where I live, there are eight deaths a month with COVID, uh, average age 85, which is older than the average American lifespan. And it's not, it, it's a, a, a lower cause of death than opioid overdoses or suicides. It's not a pandemic where I live, but I'm living under emergency law, which means there is, the legislature has no power. The governor can do whatever he wants. Same in Massachusetts, same in California. 49 states, all the states except Alaska, are technically under emergency law. So this is terrifying and you get what you're seeing, which is governors deciding or the federal government deciding that you can't assemble, you can't worship, you have no, you know, medical choice, you know, vaccine coercion, vaccine passports, your child can't go to school, your your young adult can't get a college education if they don't agree to an experimental vaccination. Um, you get suspension of, you know, the right to property, you can't run your business, you know, 110,000 restaurants have closed. Um, you get uh, suspension of freedoms of speech. Uh, people are being deplatformed left and right. Um, and, you know, there are movements in, in the Congress to kind of criminalize um, what had been First Amendment protected speech. Uh, and, and you get, you know, the invocation of, of martial powers and there's no end to it. Like literally, you know, with Massachusetts under emergency law, I have no right, I have no ability to lobby the governor, you know, with New York under emergency law, I have no representative with the power to end emergency measures. The governor has to end emergency measures and he's the one who benefits from them. So um, it's catastrophic and we're seeing a complete takeover of American rights and freedoms and bodies by big tech, which is up double digit to triple digit billion since the pandemic began. Um, China, which has moved in to kind of solidify subversion of our nation and, and establish its role as the global superpower um, under the guise of this pandemic and buying up community groups, elected officials, and so on. And, uh, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which, as I've mentioned, are flooding uh, K through 12 education, um, you know, pharma, the CDC, uh, flooding community groups, flooding universities with money to uh, engage in COVID education, which means a strict party line uh, that is aimed at destroying what's human about us and what's free. So that's it in a nutshell. It's, it's unbelievably terrifying. Yes, it is. So thank you for that concise summary. I greatly appreciate that. And you had mentioned the surveillance being implemented with these COVID-19 passports. And we've uh, put uh, a nice 10 to 12 minute video you posted previously on these passports, which alludes to the fact that they could be a precursor to what we're seeing with the social credit system in China. But 
I would contend that the surveillance began long before these passports, which aren't really deployed in the United States yet. They're very shortly will be in some states. But in New York, they have been rolled out. Where I live, the okay. pass is in force, unfortunately. Yes. Go ahead. All right. So that's good. But the, the, the point I was seeking to make was that we've been sur being surveilled for a lot longer than these passports. Uh, and I believe one of the primary culprits is Google. Uh, not so much when they first launched, which was actually after I launched my site in 1997, but at, at early 2000s when they had to uh, really acquire a source of funding. Um, so they, they used the AdWords and then became very uh, good using their massive computer system to predict human behavior. And then they just continue to launch it from there. And now they're cat. They, between them and Facebook, I mean, they're really just know about everything they can about you, about everyone in the United States is who uses a computer. So, and, and I, it's my belief that they've, they've taken this information, applied it to their deep learning computers and really figured out the algorithm, the formula for, maximizing the appropriate amount of fear, which is probably the most potent uh, stimulus for changing and manipulating human behaviors, fear. And, the, and once they understood what those triggers would be, they pass it along to people who could do it, like uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who can, largely controls the World Health Organization, which was, if it wasn't for them, they, we would have never had this pandemic because they are the ones with the authority to call it a pandemic and continue to. And they changed, actually did change the rules to have this disease qualify as a pandemic. Wow, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, what, they did. They did. And they can change at any time. That's why <laughs> this is going to be a fascinating dialogue because it gets into the circular argument there where, where we're at step 10, but we got it you know, with respect to figuring out what the solutions are. It becomes real challenging once you're at step 10. Yeah, I have some solutions, but um, I definitely will save those for the appropriate okay. that you want to talk about them. So you can respond to my other comments too, because I, I kept blurted out a mouthful of them. So I'm uh, sure you've got I to mean, respond. You're, you're absolutely right. When you really dig into what's driving this pandemic and these voices are, as you say, and as you and I have discussed offline, censored. I've been deplatformed five times with all my mainstream credentials, you know, all my published books, all my articles in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, I've been deplatformed five times by posting peer reviewed studies from major universities um, that contradict the narrative uh, that is so full of holes about the pandemic, you know, whether it's the fact that, um, which many people don't understand, these COVID dashboards that like the COVID-19 tracking project, Johns Hopkins, that all the media cite, I build digital dashboards made of government data as my role as a CEO of a tech company. And you can't, you can't tell anything about who's really infected, who's really dying from these dashboards if you don't have the raw data sets. And none of these people provide the raw data sets. You can't check them. You can't verify them. So basically, they can dial up you know, cases, which are positive PCR tests, dial them down. I believe that um, people who know the information in advance, these are funded by Bloomberg and other, you know, hedge fund billionaires can uh, bet on the stock market, you know, if they know what's going to be dialed up, what's going to be dialed down. But also, you, you can't check this. This is an unverified pandemic. You know, we know that um, the claims of deaths uh, include with COVID, that the CDC has shifted deaths um, from, you know, of COVID to with influenza, with pneumonia. People die in the tens of thousands from influenza and pneumonia, and now they're counted with COVID. And when in Minnesota, lawmakers audited the death uh, records for Minnesota, they found a 40% over attribution of deaths to COVID in Minnesota. And lastly, they're the PCR tests. Mm -hmm. uh, many people don't know this, but uh, it's a scandal. The tests that were used and are still used to say you're positive, you have to quarantine for two weeks, you have to take your child out of school, um, and, and that boost the rates, A, they don't count for duplicates. So one person who's infected testing every week is going to count as multiple people, right? But also the PCR tests, it's been documented Affirmative, affirmatively, and the WHO changed their recommendations about this in January, that 
when you run them at too high a cycle threshold, they generate false positives at industrial scale. So by testing, 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 you're making sure to generate false positives. There are no limits to how high labs can run the PCR threshold, cycle thresholds. So by but they're only accurate when they're at a lower, like 25 to 30 PCR cycle thresholds. They're being run at, you know, 40 to 45. So guaranteeing false positives. So we literally can't know if there's been a pandemic. There's so much faulty attribution, inflation of numbers, and so on. Um, and so when you, you know, when you put that all together and you look at also how the tech companies colluded, and it really is like criminal collusion, um, in March of last year for the COVID-19 response project. And it was Zoom, uh, NASDAQ, Nintendo, right? Microsoft, Amazon, um, all the people who benefited from the lockdown, they coordinated so that wherever you go on the internet, uh, across platform to platform, you see these um, alerts about COVID, warnings about COVID, instructions about COVID, and of course, censorship on Facebook and Twitter now, if you run afoul of the narrative about COVID. Um, and there, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, I run a tech company, right? And the question when you run a tech company is, how do you get people to not do things in the real world and do things on your platform? That's the business model. It's eyeballs um, or, you know, which is basically your attention, uh, or subscribers. And so if people are gathering in churches, gathering in real school rooms, if they're, you know, going for walks together, going on picnics, having dinner parties, going to clubs, that's, you know, an opportunity lost to Microsoft and Google and 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 so on. But if they can drive you indoors, terrify you from being around other people or make it unlawful to be around other people through these emergency powers that restrict assembly, um, you know, of course, everything you're like, here we are on Zoom, we're not meeting in a studio, you know, everything is going to go into the profits for the tech companies, they're not going to let go of that. Uh, digital learning curricula were ready, turnkey, to go. And suddenly it was like, oh, kids have to be at home, distance learning. That's a $300 million in industry a year for just one company that creates um, digital curricula. They're they're not going to let go of that. So um, I, I think that we are... Uh, in a small loop of like six tech bros, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation having bought legislators, you know, and China, who's up 32 percent while the you know, economies of the West have crashed and that that's the fight that we have to fight. Yes, indeed. Uh, and getting back to the PCR test, which you alluded to, the uh, issue there is that as you mentioned with the cycle threshold being at 45, which ra radically inflated the numbers, uh, not, not even including those who were, who were uh, frequently are retested and counted as uh, uh, separate individuals. Uh, they, the government required the people signing the death certificates to ascribe the cause of death as COVID-19 if they became positive with one of these fraudulent tests or fraudulently implemented tests. Uh, so these numbers were massively inflated. Uh, interestingly, as you mentioned, they, they decreased the cycle threshold to 25 by the World Health Organization. I don't know if you, remember, you said in January, but I don't know if you know the specific date. The specific day was the date Biden was inaugurated. I had yes. that. Isn't that shocking? That's it's shocking, but it's not surprising if you if you look at the whole picture. It's exactly what you predict. And then they can they can re-manipulate the statistics to look like it was Biden that caused the, the, the uh, epidemic to, or pandemic to disappear when in fact it was it was just related to the definition they were using. Absolutely. Changing of the definition. Absolutely right. And those numbers, I can't stress enough, have never been audited. So <laughs> that's another good point. That's the first time I've heard that, but it makes sense. Perfect sense. You know, we don't, you have to, you know, you have to do a freedom of information request in Britain to take a look at the raw data sets that are being fed into the Office of National Statistics COVID dashboard. And, you know, we looked at where the data were flowing from for the Johns Hopkins dashboard, which again was used by every major mm -hmm. university, every major news outlet. And, you know, one of the data providers was a hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not 
it's not clinics. It's not like, where does your test go when you take it? There's no chain of custody. Um, I, I don't know any journalist who has followed a test from the time you're swabbed to the time it's allegedly uploaded onto those dashboards. And I, I know something else about APIs. It is virtually impossible to, in real time, get hundreds of thousands of reports from hundreds of thousands of doctors and hospitals and CVS and Rite Aid, um, you know, feeding into a live digital dashboard. And I keep asking the developers to show me how did you do this? <laughs> virtually impossible. And there is there is no answer. There's crickets. It's like freedom of, you know, freedom of information. So literally, we don't know if the dashboards are just dialing up and dialing down the infection rates. Everyone's taking for granted that these must be real numbers. And there's no evidence that there's real numbers. I'm willing to stand corrected if, you know, there's a, a FOIA and we see the raw data sets and we see where they came from. Uh, but right now it is a hypothetical pandemic. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I don't recall anyone ever sharing that perspective before. So thank you for bringing that into the light, um, which, which even further magnifies the, the, the already validated information we previously shared. But your most recent book, the one that's come, that was, was published and before Step 10 gets published is uh, Outrages, Sex, Censorship, and the Criminalization of Love. And in that book, you showed how infectious disease epidemics like cholera and typhus were exploited in the 19th century by for the British Empire to crush freedoms and invade people's privacy. And that's an amazingly prescient comment because this book was written well before COVID-19. Thank you, uh, Dr. McCullough, and thank you for, for talking about outrages. It is dear to my heart. Um, and it's really interesting that that book also has had a much censored journey. Uh, I brought it out in May of 2019. It was immediately attacked on a massive scale by the BBC and then through a kind of digital kind of reputational attack. And, and these are quite common now, but they were new at the time and rather startling where, you know, thousands of bots, thousands of trolls um, smearing the book and misrepresenting it. I've made two mistakes in interpretation, um, but there were, you know, a vast numbers of not correct articles uh, placed in major news outlets, you know, still not corrected that um, wrongly erase the history of that time. Um, and, and what I'm writing about is the persecution of gay men, specifically uh, for sodomy. Uh, my hero, John Addington Simmons, was a gay man, and he uh, was a pioneer. He wrote the first gay rights manifesto in English. Um, but the background is I'm looking at these laws that proliferated at a time when people were agitating for freedom in Britain, and new laws kind of developed to control these populations. So in retrospect, it's pretty interesting. And that book was canceled, by the way, by Houghton Mifflin. Uh, Chelsea Green, our publisher, you know, bravely reissued it. And it's been a bestseller in British law ever since, I'm proud to say. But it does have a central chapter, which is pretty notable considering how much it's been attacked, how much it's been censored. And the central chapter is about vaccines um, in the 19th century and infectious diseases. And it points out that uh, there were huge cholera and typhus epidemics in Victorian Britain in the 1830s and 40s, and um, they, they were devastating, uh, but that a famous um, doctor named John Snow found out that cholera uh, was spread by um, infected water, and so that led to a gigantic uh, municipal effort to create fresh water and a sewage system. Well, that may seem like an arcane detail, but what it did was it gave the kind of municipal state the right, which it had never had before, to say, um, you're not just individuals, you don't have privacy, what you do affects other people, your bodies affect other bodies. So the state is the only entity that has the power to mediate the commons, right? It's our job to keep the commons pure and clean and to manage everyone's bodies and everyone's private life. Before that, you know, man's home was his castle, a woman's home was her castle. Um, so also subsequent to that, uh, the state began to mandate vaccines. Um, and there were vaccine bills three or four times in the 19th century. Parents were very concerned and they didn't trust the government to vaccinate their children. Uh, so there, that was the very first um, anti-vaccine, I guess you could say, movement. It was very widespread. Uh, it was quite effective. And 
so I just think it's fascinating that a, a, a book with a chapter that points out that once before there had been terrible infectious diseases that led to the state cracking down on everybody's rights and liberties, um, and also that details kind of the first anti-vaccine movement uh, happened to have been targeted for such censorship. Yes, indeed. Well, um, the bot attack on your book is uh, nothing new. They've been at this for a while. And I can remember when I catalyzed the movement against GMOs uh, uh, targeted towards Monsanto uh, than any of the podcasts we issued or uh, on YouTube and, and a variety of other platforms. We, we were the target, not a, not a bot, that could have been, but they deployed a, a paid farm of people who they would just, they were essentially trolls, would go out and, and, and seek, seek to obliterate you on the, uh, the platforms. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a tried and true plat, uh, strategy and they're, they're very effective at it. It's, it's pretty amazing and consistent. So getting back to your book, The End of America, uh, in the book you stated that most Americans don't understand or re- recognize or realize that um, Mussolini and Hitler came to power in a legal working democracy that actually became subverted and they rewrote the rules of law that actually allow them to legally, and that's the point, legally take over the country. And that's one of the primary dangers we face. So because we get to step 10, when you can, when you actually have the legal authority to take over and essentially become uh, a, a a tyrant. That's correct. Um, yeah, this is especially true of the National Socialists. Uh, they kept passing laws like a set of laws called the Enabling Acts that are very much like the laws that are being passed now um, that, you know, criminalized certain kinds of speech, uh, in, in created a kind of surveillance apparatus for citizens, um, you know, criminalized other parties and other leaders. And they did this lawfully. I mean, they were elected uh, and they passed restrictive law after restrictive law. And then once democracy was that fragile, it really took six months for, you know, thugs to beat up um, opposition leaders, union leaders, outspoken clergy. And after that, everyone was too scared to speak. Um, We're seeing the same thing happen, but faster it's very scary that China has created a white paper and the World Economic Forum has up on its website a kind of map for how biofascism, as I call it, vaccinations, the managing of people's bodies and biometrics and health um, is, is being launched as a way to control civic engagement, governance, private life, assembly, you know, every other aspect of human life to bring about a super fast totalitarianism. So that's why, you know, focusing on legislation is is something I've been doing with my company Daily Cloud very uh, assiduously, because if we don't uh, pass laws immediately to make unlawful some of the things we're seeing, um, there, there will be no more hope for us because like with vaccine passports, as I've been warning, once these are the law and they've, they've not only been rolled out in New York state, but also there's a trial in uh, Southern California um, and Microsoft is ready to go, you know, Oracle, uh, not, sorry, not Oracle, yeah, Oracle and Salesforce have partnered with Microsoft for a, a, a vaccine passport app that, that merges with Google Pay and Apple Wallet, as I've been warning. So once these are launched, um, we won't even need, you know, black shirts to beat people up in basements for the state to have complete authoritarian control and really big tech to have authoritarian control in, in China, you know, using big tech as a cat's paw, because we will be able to be, you and people like you and I, Dr. Merkel, will be switched off of society. You know, oops, my vaccine passport is positive. I guess I can't go food shopping for my family. You know, oops, um, you know, I said something critical of uh, biofascism on Dr. Mercola's show. Uh, you know, my child can't get into school. Um, he's positive. Or just as in Israel, people who are critics are being uh, surveilled 360 degrees, marginalized from society, uh, you know, turned into a two-tier society. And if you choose not to get vaccinated, um, then you're really in a, you know, a, a marginalized minority in an apartheid state. Um, and the more we know about these va- 
vaccines, the scarier it is to have coercion that is social. It's also illegal. Like in America, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act. It means it's illegal to even ask me anything about my medical status. You can't ask me if I'm pregnant. You can't ask me if I'm disabled. You can't ask me if I have diabetes or HIV. You cannot ask me anything. So by definition, um, these intrusive measures are unlawful. And and yet, and so we have to use the law to save the law, basically, because we're seeing laws being passed in Michigan just today. There's a, 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 an edict from the governor that two to four-year-old children have to be masked. This is child abuse. Science doesn't support it. Um, so unlawful, tyrannical laws are being passed across the country, you know, under the guise of emergency measures or just, you know, because of stupid people going along with it, like in Congress, I'm embarrassed to say because I voted for Biden. Um, and and we have to fight before, before we are living in a biofascist regime where our every move is tracked and we're marginalized from society. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that because I think that's where your book, The End of America, written 14 years ago, folks, was really excelled from my perspective in that it helped us understand some basic that so many of us forget. I'm, I, my guess is the vast majority of the United States population fails, absolutely fails on steroids to understand is that the founders of this country actually fled repressive societies, if not themselves personally, they were the children or the, the grandchildren of those who did. And they had to personally reckon with criminalized speech, arbitrary arrest and state sanctioned torture and even murder. So these founders, a great personal sacrifice to themselves, though people who signed that constitution, if we, if they lost the war, the revolutionary war, they would have all been executed. Every one of them, every one of them. So they constructed a carefully balanced equation to make sure that no tyrant could ever come to power. That's it, a summary of what you put in there, but I want to bring that to a, a very current scenario that could obliterate that delicate balance that they've constructed and formed over two and a half centuries ago. And that is there's an executive, legislative, and judicial branch. And last week, the, there was a, a, a bill passed to pad the Supreme Court, which could essentially decimate the three-tier branch that was constructed to safeguard our freedoms. That, 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 that the executive branch or the legislative branch could arbitrarily essentially nullify the, leg- the judicial branch is just reprehensibly abhorrent to the concept that the founders put together. At least that's my view. And I'm wondering what your, what your take on this is. I agree with you. Look, I, I voted for Biden. I'm a lifelong progressive, but you know, my, my people have to wake up. Uh, I couldn't have voted for Trump for other reasons. We don't know. It was a terrible set of choices. However, (laughs) however, just to restate this, this is not a partisan issue. This is not a partisan issue. This is a freedom issue. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. But just to speak to what you're describing now, sadly, it is clear. And that's why I'm saying like progressives have to wake up. It is clear that this administration is doing everything it can. And I worry very much about the role of China in this because I think you know, we've seen that some people connected to the Democratic Party have close ties with, you know, members of the Chinese Communist Party. That is just established fact. Um, I'm not saying that the tyrants are on the left in other countries. In Britain, it's Tories uh, cracking down on liberty and holding the country under house arrest. In, um, in Australia, it's conservatives. In Canada, it's, you know, Trudeau, a liberal so this isn't partisan, but I, in America, we do have to face the fact that this administration is, is drunk on power and has some bad actors aligned with it, including Silicon Valley. They are crushing conservative voices, kicking them off of public platforms, in addition to voices critical of the COVID narrative. And they're also moving at warp speed, to use their own phrasing about something else, 
to um, to lock in power in a way that is against everything our founders uh, set in place. The most beautiful, as you say, delicate system of checks and balances any human beings have ever created. You know, a, 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 an ideal of people all over the world who want um, freedom and um, balanced, accountable government. And yeah, packing the Supreme Court is a horrific tampering with um, some of the last checks and balances that we have. I mean, over and over again, it's been the court. It was the court in California. And I can't believe I keep saying, thank God for the conservatives on the bench. But these days I have to say it and I'm ashamed. But, you know, thank God, because they were the ones who said, no, in California, you cannot keep people from assembling to worship. That is a violation of the Constitution. And they're they're our last hope. You know, the courts are our last hope. So it is catastrophic. And I I see, um, you know, I see other scary movements against accountable democracy that are being put forward by this administration. Uh, You know, among them, President Biden is not saying to the blue states, you have to give up your emergency powers. You have to open up. You can't control people in their homes. You can't force people to have vaccinations and you can't keep people from assembling and worshiping. These are all violations of their constitutional liberties. He's not saying that. Um, So that's a complete failure of leadership, if not worse. And, and, you know, my people have to kind of rise up and face it. Like you're, you know, conservatives have to face cleaning out their own houses. You know, they have to face why someone like me couldn't vote for President Trump. But that may be another conversation. What's at stake is everything. And we all have to kind of unite across party lines and, and save our constitution and, and make these people accountable, whatever their party. Yeah, and it just points back to the uh, comment you made in your book about the fact that most Americans were not aware that Hitler and Mussolini came to power legally. Now we're seeing a shift a change in our legal structure that will allow them to have similar types of tyrannical reigns. You're exactly right. And look what, look what happens. I mean, I'm very, very scared. Um, Look what's happening in Canada. Premier Ford in Ontario has declared a lockdown with no evidence. And there's no evidence that lockdowns work. The data are in that they don't work. States that were fully open, like Florida, did as well or better than states that locked down viciously, like California. Sweden did better than Britain, and so on. Um, but he's he's restricting freedoms of assembly. He's not letting people out of their homes. He's not letting people see their families. He's not letting kids you know, go to school. Uh, there horrible things are being done to students in school. They're being masked. They're being made to sit on the floor. They're, they're being told no mask, no voice. They can't speak to each other. I mean, it's, it's beyond tyrannical people. Canadians are assembling at the border with big SOS signs to, to ask America to save them because their democracy is being crushed. Um, you know, there's talk of the military being deployed into checkpoints. Uh, and there's also talk of Chinese uh, soldiers uh, training on Canadian soil, which our Pentagon objects to. I need more confirmation on that, but it's the second time this happened in Australia. I've heard uh, credible reports of Chinese soldiers um, deploying, uh, you know, in former democracies. So Canada's gone. Like, how do you save a, a formerly vibrant democracy when the leaders have been clearly co-opted by a combination of the World Economic Forum and probably a foreign power bribed. Um, you know, I'm not even sure what the methodology is, but we're seeing the same behavior in leaders in lockstep around the world. But, you know, Canada is an unarmed country. And I used to hate guns and I used to think that there should be gun control and, you know, all, all countries should be disarmed. But honestly, I'm rethinking the Second Amendment <laughs> because you talked about our founders. They had lived through, you know, mercenaries breaking into their homes, you know, harassing their their wives and children, uh, going through their private possessions. That's why there is a Fourth Amendment. But they also were on the receiving end of tyrannical mercenary soldiers. So that's why there's a second amendment. And I'm looking at Britain, which is saying, what can we do? What can we do there? You know, no parties are championing freedom. They're under one house arrest after another. You know, I mentioned Canada, the Philippines under house arrest, Argentina now under a curfew, uh, you know, Quebec under a curfew. These are all unarmed countries. And, uh, you know, the only hope I'm seeing is that America is not an unarmed country. And I would never 
advocate for violence, but I think it's much harder to subdue a nation with something like a Second Amendment. And I think it's much harder to subdue a nation with a vibrant judiciary. So you're absolutely right. We have to cherish all of these institutions and freedoms and defend them because they are being dismantled. Yes, and I, I applaud your sincerity and your commitment to seeking the truth because your and your ability and willingness to change your position, even though you, for whatever reason, came to these conclusions early on, as you acquired more information and, and new details, you were open to changing your position, which is so uncommon and so rare. I, it is just you just don't see that very typically. So I'll, thank you for that willingness to continually reevaluate along your journey. Thank you. Uh, it wasn't necessary, but thank you. Well, it is. But how, how many people do you know personally who do it? Too few. I agree. No, they just don't. So the creators of the U.S. Constitution, they knew very well, and virtually no one gets this either, that the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. And maybe you've heard that before, but you don't know what it means. They never, the founders never expected us to fall asleep at the wheel, to become complacent. They trusted us to be ever vigilant. So what does that mean today? What do we need to do? What is your call to the average person? Or is it too late? Did they win? No, thank God in America, they haven't won. You know, as I mentioned, I'm very worried about other countries. You know, someone called me from Germany on a podcast like this and said, what can we do? And there's no opposition, there's no arms, there's the, you know, they're down to, I had to advise like mass peaceful civil disobedience, like that's where they're at. And there's, you know, there's hope in mass peaceful civil disobedience, as we've seen from the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, my favorite, you know, when, when things are really dire, and this is for your international viewers, um, my favorite story is about the singing revolution of Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia, in which they were under the grip of you know, the Soviet Union, massive, tyrannical monolith, but they all decided to just peacefully gather on a highway that extended the length of their three countries and sing and um, and keep peacefully disrupting business as usual in their cities, uh, making it impossible for, you know, work to continue, for uh, traffic to, to go on. They, they sat down, they linked arms and they sang. And over time, they just wore down the Soviet Union. So that's a, a you know beautiful model. And same thing with Dr. Martin Luther King. You know, his was a peaceful revolution of civil disobedience. It lasted a long time. It takes months and months, if not years. Um, you know, when you have nothing else. But we in America do have a resistance. Thank God. I'm embarrassed and sorry to say it's overwhelmingly Republican right now. And <laughs> you know, it's not that I won't align with everyone. You know, I welcome transpartisan alliances. I just am embarrassed that over and over the Republican state legislators I'm talking to say we are reaching out across the aisle, but there is a wall from the Democrats. So I've been a political consultant at the highest level as a Democrat. And I know what that means is the DNC has said and the you know, Biden administration has said you are not to align to go against this lockdown narrative, this COVID narrative, this vaccine narrative, this Bill Gates narrative, um, unfortunately. But this is what we've done. We've uh, started something called the Five Freedoms Campaign. It's on my website that I was describing, dailycloud.io. And these are bills for five freedoms. Um, no emergency law, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom to worship, to uh, protest, to um, engage in, you know, buying and selling, running your business, uh, open schools, no mask mandates, and uh, no vaccine passports. And we've had overwhelmingly support, I overwhelmingly high levels of support, pardon me. I hope your uh, followers will also join us and I'll gladly send you our link. Um, and what we're doing is we hired a really distinguished lawyer and she's drafting model legislation. She's finished the no vaccine passports bill. Um, we've got state legislators in Maine, New Hampshire, and now Michigan, pardon me, uh, jumping on board to sponsor it, to pass that legislation. I'm sending out the request for 47 other state legislatures to adopt this model legislation. Contact me. I'll come out. I'll speak to your legislature. 
you know, I'll, we'll do a rally, we'll do a press conference as we're doing in Maine on the 27th. Um, we've got to pass these bills. But then she's going to work on an omnibus bill to uh, make all five freedoms um, inviolable so that no one can pass mask mandates as they did in Michigan today. You know, no one can force vaccine passports as they're doing in New York uh, so that we can get our freedoms back. Well, it would seem the justification for implementation of those regulations and and, uh, rules is the fact that they were able to successfully declare an emergency state. And it would, it would seem the most effective strategy. And in some of these states, like New York has had it for more than a year, more than a year. It's insane. It's not an emergency. So, of course it is. But is there an effort in your group to, to address the, the bull head on and, and limit their ability of these governors to declare emergency states or at least have some type of uh, review to, to reanalyze it and not give the tyrannical power? You're, you're asking exactly the right question, Dr. Mercola. Emergency law is at the heart of how all these unlawful things have been done. Mm-hmm. To us. Emergency law basically suspends the Constitution of the United States. And, you know, as I've said elsewhere, the Constitution doesn't say all this can be suspended if there's a <laughs> disease, right? And never, you know, we've been through typhus, cholera, smallpox, HIV, you know, Spanish flu, uh, polio, uh, tuberculosis, disease after disease, without ever um, having emergency law extended without review month after month after month. We've had world wars fought without emergency laws. Um, We were, you know, attacked on our soil without emergency law being declared in New York State after 9-11. So there's no justification for it. In our history, it's against everything we believe in. It's unconstitutional. So the answer is yes, one of the five freedoms is no emergency law, and everything else depends on that, of course. Um, and so I'm really proud to say that um, Representative Tim Baxter uh, of New Hampshire with his um, colleagues have passed last Thursday, and we were supporting and helping them um, by calling out to our supporters a bill or an amendment in the budget that says that reforms current emergency law so it can't be extended without review and bans emergency law for the future. So now there is legislative oversight in New Hampshire of emergency powers. And on Friday, the day after that passed, Governor Sununu in New Hampshire announced that he was dropping the mask mandate. Um, so there is no more mask mandate in New Hampshire. So this is this can be a groundswell, you know, these these bills. And um, we've now passed along our model no vaccine passport bill to the New Hampshire legislators. Um, so, you know, if they can do it in New Hampshire uh, with our help, with your help, they can do it across the country. But we need to get that, um, you know, model legislation out to every legislature and mobilize that grassroots movement to pass uh, the end of emergency law. I mean, look what's happening in New York State. It's insane. 14 state legislators are trying to get Governor Cuomo to end emergency law, but our, our, our laws are written so that Governor Cuomo has to be the one to end his own emergency law. <laughs> so there, a huge amount of lobbying has to happen for these legislators to understand that there's eyes on them, they're accountable, I'm going to be reporting and that, you know, hundreds or with your followers, hopefully millions of people will be following and and helping to pass these laws to get back our rights. Well, that was a surprising and unexpected good news. I was not expecting that. Uh, So my guess is that the most challenging part of of this process is to have the initial state pass the legislation. And then you have a model or template that can be enacted by other states. Is is that correct? It's the other way around. I'm really really what we've done we've we're we're drafting model legislation one bill is finished our Mm -hmm. lawyer is moving on to the next bill um and we also now have good model legislation from new hampshire some's being drafted in maine um and so on our website we are uploading all the good model bills but we're also drafting proactively bills that don't exist yet like this five freedoms bill Mm. that i mentioned so that because what i'm really finding i mean it's very nerdy but i'll just share this um state legislators many of them are not lawyers um they don't have lawyers at their beck and call and so 
our process is vulnerable to special interests with their lawyers and saying, mm -hmm. here's a bill, it's all, you know, nice and ready for you to pass. So citizens can do that. And that's why we launched Daily Plout. You can tell us, your followers can tell us the bill you want, and we can, you know, upload a campaign for that bill. We can hire our lawyer to draft a model bill, and then you can pass it. Um, and, you know, what we've been doing is gathering uh, names and zip codes so that we can add real voters to this piece of model legislation in real states and send it to real um, state legislators uh, and say, look, the supporters are all there. All you have to do is, is pass this. Um, and uh, it's a fantastic intervention in the political process, restoring real democracy. It's why we founded Daily Cloud, but it's beautiful to see hundreds and hundreds of people from all walks of life um, you know, rushing to give us support and resources to become members and, uh, and you know, give us donations, which we appreciate, um, so that we can keep our lawyer busy, you know, creating these draft bills. And it's not just for this issue. Once we get our rights and freedoms back, whatever you want, Dr. Mercola, whatever your followers want, we can draft a bill for you and you can pass it. That's really exciting. So I I'm wondering if you've uh, experienced any opposition to this legislative effort uh, or any groups that would be opposed to this other than, you know, the, uh, the great reset, Klaus Schwab, Davos, Bill Gates crowd. Um, well, so just to be super clear, we're not a C4, so we're not the ones lobbying. Citizens are lobbying. Mm -hmm. um, we're helping them. So I, I can't say that anyone is, you know, coming out. I mean, it's such a beautiful effort because you'd have to come out and say, the people of New Hampshire have no right to pass their own legislation in order to oppose an effort like this, right? We're mm -hmm. not a special interest. You know, it's just the people. It's the people mm -hmm. of New Hampshire, the people of Maine, um, you know, passing their own legislation. So no one's come out and, you know, written an op-ed in opposition to it or anything like that. I do hear, as I mentioned consistently, that Democrats won't help um, and that, you know, in many states with, you know, their Democrat Democratic majorities, it's going to be difficult uh, if Democrats don't cross the aisle or, you know, reach across the aisle and add their names. So I'm, I'm sending out the call to Democrats to support this legislation. I'm going to warn um, everyone speaking as a former political consultant that the the party that embraces the restoration of freedom is going to be the party that wins in 2022 and 2024. There's no question about that. So, you know, if the DNC is saying don't get on board with this transpartisan kind of legislation or if the administration is, I'm encouraging state legislators to, you know, follow their conscience because administrations come and go and even the DNC is not all powerful. And there's a lot of work you can do at the state level um, to serve your constituents. And, and this is going to be a winning issue. You know, at the same time, I think voters, once they're mobilized, are going to remember who stood in the way of their kids going back to school, who stood in the way of them taking their masks off, you know, even in the face of no science to support it, who stood in the way of their opening their businesses. People will remember. Well, I share your hope and also believe that, uh, the personal freedom agenda will likely be the top priority in the next elections. But what gives you the confidence to have, to be so su supportive, not supportive, but just so confident that this is going to be the, the state. What kind of evidence do you have to support that assertion? That, that what, what is my the source of my confidence that the freedom agenda will win the next yes. few elections? Mm -hmm. I mean, Partly it's the response that we're getting. I mean, literally people are saying, you know, you guys are heroes. Please count me in. Uh, use my name. Use my zip code. You know, people are sending us $5, $25, $10, you know, and hundreds of dollars. Um, people from all walks of life. Um, I've never seen anything like it. You know, we've been, we've been up and running for four or five years. And this is like a massive massive i mean we're being legislators are reaching out to us you know so I've well, when, did, when did you notice a change what when what well, i mean really two weeks ago when i started two weeks ago well that's when we launched this oh okay all right yeah. good. I I mean, people something. know something is terribly wrong but they don't know what to do and even republicans don't know what to do right i mean this is a completely unprecedented assault on liberty so uh, with my many years in 
national politics, I know what to do. Like this is why we develop Daily Cloud. If you show up with a turnkey piece of legislation and some turnkey supporters, that's a very quick fix for a really catastrophic crisis um, that has a legislative solution. So as long as there's still legislatures, we can pass good legislation at the state level. At the federal level, it's going to be harder, you know, because Mm -hmm. there isn't any balance right now. Um, But there's, I'm very inspired. There's so many people serving at the state legislature level who are like really decent citizens who are not partisan hacks, who really ran to help their neighbors and help their communities and who are not wholly owned, you know, by China or big tech or whatever, um, and who really want to do the right thing. So I, I could be wrong, but, you know, in two weeks, we're already, you know, we've been invited to address two state legislatures and draft legislation for three and that's without any marketing budget or anything but you know platforms like this where i say it's available um i I do feel confident you know these people talk to each other i do feel confident that we'll have more and more states and more and more citizens mostly like we we started daily cloud because citizens didn't have a platform to be effective lobbying for their own issues and this is a turnkey platform that does that for them so i'm you know i designed it that way, I designed it as a former political consultant, knowing that the way things are set up, ordinary citizens don't have a seat at the table. There is no easy way to engage in civic action. I mean, I wrote a book about it, you know, the sequel mm-hmm. to The End of America. So this makes it easy and it makes it digital and, and people are using it. They're using BillCam. Like on BillCam, Dr. McCauley, you can look up any bill about health or vaccinations or supplements and you can see at a glance what's happening. So this is very empowering to citizens and they're making use of it. I mean, so, I'm wrong, but you know, God. No, no, I, I agree with you. So can you help us understand them in more specific details, exactly what the process looks like? Someone's interested in this and I would imagine how anyone following me wouldn't be interested in this, but what, what, is, what are the steps that they take? They sign up, they obviously can donate to support the efforts, but what, what, what does the process look like? Sure thing. So if you go to dailycloud.io, you can become a member or a subscriber. And either way, immediately um, you'll get an email uh, explaining to you how to use the five freedoms um, campaign, if that's your main issue that you're interested in. Um, And there you're going to see by the end of today or by tomorrow, a model no vaccinations bill. And you can send it to your state legislator. Um, On BillCam, you can see who your state legislator is um, by entering your zip code. Um, But we'll also send you links to explain to you, you know, how you can find your state legislator. But we also, if you give us your name and uh, zip code, which we'll use confidentially for this, we'll attach it. We're creating a widget right now to attach your name and zip code to the model bill so it goes right to your state legislator showing that the bill already has support um, but in the meantime you can look up any bill on bill cam and those are bills that have already been introduced or passed um, and there are no vaccine passport bills for instance we're showcasing them and on bill cam it's already set up you can just um tweet it to your bill sponsor to the bill sponsor tweet it to your representative you can facebook it to your community it already goes through social media and you can show support by quote unquote voting on it already in the widget um, on bill camp as you share legislation with your community um, so then you know you're going to get regular updates for instance we're updating people about what's been happening in maine uh, and events you know about the rally and the press conference in Uh, Augusta, Maine on the 27th, you'll get notifications of events in your community. Um, You'll get notifications of, you know, any activity. If you live in Michigan, you'll get notifications about Michigan. Um, And we're also installing uh, chat widgets so that you can align and meet with like-minded people in your state to pass this kind of legislation. But lastly, you can write to us and say, I want to draft a bill about X. And, you know, we can assign our lawyer to draft it for you. So that's for the future. Right now we're focused on the five freedoms, but there is that functionality. Um, You can simply, you know, you can write a blog and explain the bill that you want. You can send us a video uh, and explain, you know, your issue, what your issue is. And all of this goes to shining a light on the legislators and the legislation. They're not used to having a light shown on them. And that really does drive outcomes. 
We've been amazingly successful with the campaigns we've let people run or that we've supported people in running. Um, so those are the steps that you can take. Well, thanks for summarizing that. Do you think that uh, this was responsible for the victory that you just described in New Hampshire? I never want to take credit away from legislators working hard to pass bills, but I know that we helped. I know that our, you know, our lawyer has been in close touch with um, some of those state legislators and provided language, you know, that we um, paid for, basically, uh, so that those legislators would have a turnkey bill to act on. And, and I do believe, you know, there's never kind of a, a direct cause effect that you can point to. But I know that with hundreds of people writing to Governor Sununu at our recommendation to say lift these mandates and us reporting on it, right, which is always the missing step. Does anyone report on on outcomes? Um, he, you know, he felt the he he felt the pressure and he knew there was political support for what he was going to do. And so he dropped the mask mandate uh, and, and, you know, those other amendments went in. So I I think it's absolutely categorically the case that we helped in New Hampshire. We can help but new hampshireites helped you know they were the ones who led that charge yeah well so fantastic we can, we can help them help <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it doesn't matter how it happens it matters that it happens and you're Absolutely. obviously catalyzing supporting and facilitating that whole process so kudos That's for all your I work to hop off now to be with my wonderful team to build the things i just described so um may i say goodbye and and uh and thank you so much for this call sure absolutely Thanks so much. I'm so grateful to you, Dr. Mercola. Uh, I appreciate um, everything you're doing and, uh, and I appreciate your followers as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye.